Hello, I'm Professor Margaret Rogers Van Koops, and you're listening to Journey into an Unknown World. I've been doing this show for a number of years, probably about 10 years, and uh, through the years I've been doing a half-hour show, but lately I've increased it to one hour. Today what I'd like to talk about is the transformation of change in self and in the world. You know, we all want things to improve and be different, and yet somehow when we think about being different, we use the mode of change from history. In other words, we say to ourselves, well, I know this particular way, I know how to use this particular program, so I'm going to try and change whatever I want to change with this program. And then you wonder why it doesn't work and you get frustrated. I think one of the best ways that I've often talked about change in this kind of, you know, dementia way, shall we say, is to say that if we got the old-fashioned um, WordPress program and tried to use Word in it today, it wouldn't work. Well, in a way, you know, it's the same with how we learned to do things when we were children. Our grandparents and our parents told us, well, when I was a child, we used to do this and this and that and that, and so you should be doing the same. You should follow tradition and you should do exactly what we tell you to do so that you will grow up being the same as us, but hopefully a bit better. You see, every generation wants the next generation to succeed. But the problem is, the old generation has no idea what the future will be like. So in their own way, they try to give advice, bearing in mind that they know that they've gone through changes. So everything they say is, well, do what we do, and if things change, you'll have to adapt. Now that sounds like good advice. But when the changes come, we don't have any tools, we don't have any understanding of what is going on, we haven't had any preparation beyond the word change and the word adapt. Now, what if you don't know, you can't see a way to change? Well, there is a little clue here. If we go back through eons of time, we can see that people have been forced by circumstances to move on. So if we talk about pioneers from, shall we say, not going back too far, the, because I'm in America, uh, talking about the pioneers who, the, who were the pilgrims who came to this country, they came with the hopes and dreams of how England had been run bearing in mind they had a different religion now to share, and so wanted to get away from Catholicism and Presbyterianism and all these other things, and move into their own idea of very strong uh, senses of religion ruling the roost with no dancing, singing, and so on. And that sounded quite ideal to them. But when they got over here, all they'd been prepared for was hard work, to toil the land and try to build houses and live off the land, only to find out that the weather here was different from England, that the natives had a different style of dress and performance, and so there was a lot of adversity that was going on in their arrival to a strange company in a strange country with no one around to cry help to. Well, fortunately for the pioneers, the Native Americans were kind enough, in other words, the Native Indians were kind enough to come to their help and help them. But at the same time, something disastrous happened. These people coming from Europe were carrying diseases that the Native Americans had never had. 
and had no way of protecting themselves from catching the disease. And here we are in our modern times with abilities to travel all over the world, don't think twice about it, take it for granted, and suddenly we're all sick with the COVID-19. Now, the next thing that happened was everybody moved into illusion and fantasy. If we go back to the pioneers, they had the illusion that they were supreme, that they were more educated than the Native Americans. In time, they found out that wasn't so, because the Native Americans had been here for thousands of years, had crossed the land bridges beyond any memory that they could even have considered possible to have in those days, found that the Native Americans had spiritual religions of their own that were in fact in many ways superior to the narrow-mindedness of their beliefs in God, the one God, etc. Yet there was a similarity in those times that they both believed in one God. So if we bring that forward to the now. We have people all over this world who have different religions, and yet within each of those religions, be they Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, and more and more going on, uh, they're all derivatives of one another, where we all still believe in the one God. Even the Orientals have many gods, and we have angels and uh, helpers in the spirit world, so they believe that too. And still there's always one primary ascended master who is the God. Well, if we come back to the analogy of germs coming from foreigners, carrying them into America, killing off a lot of the Native Americans, we can always see here, in the parallels of that story, people moving about from country to country in our time, carrying germs from place to place. So it's not anything new. In fact, we've been spreading germs across the world over the last 200 years. The thing is, we've changed in terms of our biochemistry. We've begun to realize that our human bodies are not the same as they were 200 years ago. 200 years ago, we ate the food that we grew. So our bodies were used to eating the same food, and our digestive system housed the same germs and bugs that we were used to having in our upbringing, and so we were fortified to kill off the nasty bugs and stay healthy. Though in those days, the average age of an elder would be around 50 years old. Today, we live a lot longer. And the reason we live longer is because we fill ourselves with so many pills that try to overcome the fear of death, the emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual aspects of deterioration, and ultimately come to a point where the pills kill us. So what have we learned? We've learned that we have integrated our species, which is marvelous. So we no longer think about ourselves as separate races. We have children from, say, in my case, my ancestry, Japanese person, marrying a white person. In those days, it was considered terrible. But it was done because love was there. Later, after World War One and Two, with so many countries being involved, the men were with the women of different countries, and women bore children that were of mixed countries. And so we had the beginning of unification of tribal consciousness into one tribe. But we didn't understand that then. We were still busy thinking about class distinction whether we're upper-class, royalty, down to a transient on the street. And everyone in their own status mode believed in some way that they were better than others. 
And I can say to you today that, honestly, in the earlier years of my life, I was talking to transients who clearly believed that they were in a better scenario because they were master of themselves and were not dominated by anyone else. And perhaps they were right. And their style of living on the street was their chosen style. And to them, be they mentally or emotionally disturbed by other people, they were nevertheless happy to be in that situation. But as time went by, circumstances forced more and more people to find that they too ended up on the street in later years, not because they were doing it by choice, but because they had no work. They were forced to believe about their spirituality in that way. So back in the 80s and 90s, we had many people out of work, begging for money, begging for a job, and many of those people were eating roots and things they never thought they would have eaten before. At the same time, all the countries in the world were going through earthquakes, they were going through floods, they were going through disruptions of various situations, even volcanoes blowing off. And what we learned then was that we are like fleas on the back of a dog. It doesn't matter what Mother Earth does, she can pull us up in the blink of an eye to stop and think what's happening to me and my life. What value does it have and what more can I do to contribute to society to rebuild a world that is more fulfilling? Well, of course, that sounded good too. But it wasn't long before people started to say, I remember my parents had this, we used to have that, I lost my house, I haven't got this, I haven't got that. And the next thing we knew, instead of moving forward with creating new ideas, becoming more productive in the way that we live together, build houses, fortify our systems, make sure that we all have equal shares, we went into a mode of self-destruction. I want more, and I'm going to get it at any price. If I have to write on the back of someone else's good fortune, I'll pretend I'm their follower and I'll take whatever they've got and then I'll take it as my own and I'll go out and teach that and I'll make a fortune and I'll live off that money. And then I'll get all those people who still believe they're flakes and can't do anything to pay me a fortune in buying my books and my videos and my cassettes or whatever it was that they had in those days. And people believed it because they were so desperate to get help. And before anyone knew it, they'd spent a lot of money buying a lot of things, got their credit cards, cards maxed, and in trouble and in debt, worse than ever than before. Because before, they just were themselves without anything. And when you haven't got anything, You've got freedom of choice in moving over into a new dynamic where you can remold yourself to become something new. Well, if we go back to the ancient times of the pioneers, whatever country it was, even if we go to Australia where British people were going there because people were asking them to come and make that a new country, I saw many Brits return because they said there was no support system in the country. You see, they went expecting everything to be in place, just like it was in Europe. But it wasn't, because it's a new country. And so the idea of toiling, laboring, to try and make a living was taken with them. Had they have gone to Australia, or even New Zealand, with the idea that I'm like a native, who's just arrived, and I have to learn to live off the land, and I have to learn to use my skills and talents in wood carving, building a house, um, you know, doing work, laborsome work, to build a place that my family can say they feel safe, then they might have been more productive. Of course, if we go back into the old pioneers of this country, 
we see they were farmers. They had cows that they moved from state to state, or sheep, and they had quarrels over whose land was owned by the cattlemen or the sheep ranchers. Well, there's so much land here. What were they arguing over? Control, ownership, money. Have we learned anything? Here we are in our time now. And we were doing the same. I remember so many people only two years ago saying, wow, I've just sold 250 books. I've made this much money. Now I can go buy my house. Okay, well... Houses went up all of a sudden. Nobody could afford any houses anymore. And then the bottom dropped out and everybody was trying to sell a house they paid a fortune for at a rock-bottom price just to get out of debt. So what you see here is the manipulation of people's minds. And yet we don't take ownership of that self-manipulation. No, we blame and shame everyone else. We blame our politicians, we blame our pharmaceutical companies, we say they're hoarding all the money, making more and more money out of pills. Yes, I remember paying 2 and $3 for a single pill for my husband because he had a heart problem. And what did that pill do? Made him worse, side effects. And back in those days, they didn't have commercials that said, Here's smiley face about this particular pill, and if you take it, you'll be wonderfully happy. That's all they said. Now they have to say, if you take that pill, side effects are, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And yet people still buy that pill and take that pill because a primary belief is that when a doctor comes to see you, he has that secret medicine that he gave you when you were two and three years old, which was simply penicillin, a natural thing found in bread that helped to kill bugs. Oh, we weren't happy with that. No, we had to go and augment it and change it. And once we did that, and we put that in our body, our bodies overreacted, and we became ill. If we go back to the medieval times, it was very normal for herbalists to go out into the fields and gather the herbs. And they did a wonderful job with the herbs of their country, wherever that country was. Because you have to remember that each country grows its own vegetation according to the weather. And so... If you're living, say, in Indonesia, the herbal remedies that your ancestors would have eaten would have been perfect for you being Indonesian with an Indonesian body. And your bugs in your body would have been relative to that place that you were born. And so everyone knew if you got a fever, we'd go out into the fields and we find that particular herb that will bring your fever down. Or they'd make a poultice to open up a pussy area and make sure that it all came out and the wound healed. Okay, we've forgotten all that stuff. Here we are today, still allowing doctors to cut us open, take out parts of our body in the hope that we will recover. But you see, the thing is, when you take something out, you're not a whole person anymore. Your system isn't working productively. Let me make an analogy here and say your computer's running very well, but all of a sudden you decide one of the programs is out of date, so you delete it. And suddenly your computer's all over the place. You don't know what's happened. You're frustrated with it. You try and manipulate this program and that program. And the more you touch it, the worse it becomes until finally you want to throw it across the room in desperation. Take a look at your body on pills. The more pills you take, the more sickly you become, the more emotionally, mentally distraught you become, the more iller you are, your body packs up. Now, let's come forward again into the COVID-19 
hearsay. Oh, I heard a lot about it. You know, it's the Japanese or the Chinese or the French or the Italian. They're all spreading it around. It's their fault, you know. And someone in China manipulated a virus and made it this deadly thing. It isn't. This virus is ancient. In fact, it was rampant over 5,000 years ago. It was rampant in the areas that are now our north and south poles. Scientists have proved me right. They've pulled out their long ice poles, as I call them, and they've explored them and found the virus 5,000 years ago. Okay? And this virus, as I've been told by the Oneness Spirit Guides, is able to procreate itself and recreate itself because it originally was brought here by aliens. Now, I know a lot of you listening will go, aliens, there's no such thing, they don't exist, it's all rubbish. But there's too much proof now. And too many people, including myself, who've had encounters. My encounters have been from when I was three, well, two and a half, onward throughout my life until recently. And there are more and more people speaking about it. So those of you who buried your head in the sand, lift it up and start to realize that you're lost in history, just like those Quakers of so long ago who came to this country, these pilgrims who said they had everything in control and found they had no control whatsoever. So here you are today, locked down. You're complaining, you're angry that you can't do all the things you used to do. You're frustrated with your family who all seem to get in your way and under your toes and feet and in your head. But this is a golden opportunity to look at yourself, your perceptions of who you are and what you believe. Here, let me say this. In the old times, when a British person married in their class with another British person, there were standards, rules and regulations that families followed, behavioral issues and patterns. I know because I was born into it, and I can tell you it was horrible. But on the other side of the fence, it gave me discipline. It taught me to think about myself before I acted. It told me to think things through, to try and use imagination to stimulate me to have a good outcome rather than a rational one that could be useful but might fall apart. Leadership. Everyone, in some way, needs to be trained to be a leader, not of other people, but of self. To be master of yourself in all things doesn't mean to have a degree at the university. A long time ago, as I wrote in one of my books, I was up in Rishikesh, and I was looking at these gorgeous monks who had golden auras. And they invited me outside to sit on a small veranda with a thousand-foot drop. If you want to know more, you'll have to read my journey into the oneness, where I describe it. But the thing was, they reached over and said to me, Master, who are you? And I, a seeker of truth, gave that word to them. I did not feel I was a master. But it bothered me. And on my return to England, because I was always lecturing and teaching in the public eye, being well-known and famous in those days for being a medium, a healer, and respected for the talks that I gave, I went to do the mind, body, and spirit, which had not arrived in this country by then. We were still ahead of you in those days in England. And I went in and I deliberately began my talk with, I am a master. And immediately the hands all went up all over the place and I stopped and I said, yes. And they said, master of what? Are you master of this and master of that and so on? And I finally let them wear themselves out a little and then I said, I'll tell you the answer. I am master of myself. Now, being master of yourself means you are responsible for everything you think and feel. 
you are responsible for your choices that you make in this life. If they don't work out, you've no one else to blame but yourself. But you shouldn't be blaming yourself. Instead, you should be saying, that was an effort that taught me something. What did I learn? Maybe I learned I rushed in too quickly without thinking it through, as I mentioned earlier. Or maybe I thought I had all aspects in place when in fact I was acting out of time, too soon or too late. There are many things we can learn if we stop and listen to ourselves. Our conscious mind, as I often write in my books and teach in my courses and classes, is a liar. It will make two and two make 44 or 99. It doesn't matter to the conscious mind as long as it comes up with an answer. But if you're not feeling the inner truth of the answer, you will believe your conscious mind, act upon it, and later find out it hasn't worked. So the true answer to truth within you is to not to listen to gossip, hearsay of your own mind or anyone else's, but rather to listen to your inner, intuitive, heartfelt feeling, instinct. If you feel you want to do something and you're rushing to do it and it's hard work and you're stressed and full of tension, there's no joy in it. You're telling yourself very clearly you're in your head and not in your heart. And I know because I've walked that pathway and it led to a breakdown and my death. But I returned knowing that I had plenty of time, ways and means that the world would show me as I quietly enjoyed walking my pathway hither and thither, doing whatever I could. And throughout those years, I evolved spiritually, emotionally, mentally and physically to become the person I am today. And everything that I do is in the mode of giving, knowing that I'll always receive. Most of us don't believe that. We learn it, and yet we doubt it. So we rush out to try and be a good person, giving to everyone, hoping that someone will save us. Well, it's the same with the virus. Everyone is rushing around like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to buy all the products on the shelf in case they catch it, without stopping to think, what can I do from my inner self that tells me I'm safe? Under the laws now, we all wear masks. In reality, the masks do not stop a virus from coming into your mouth or nose, because a virus is so minute that it can find its way through the tiny, tiny cracks in webs of material. And even though you may have many layers within your mask, the thing that you're really doing is giving yourself carbon dioxide that you've breathed out back into your body, making you lightheaded and dizzy. Those people who work in the public eye have now got plastic things in front of them so that people, if they sneeze or cough, will cough on that thing. But, hey, we forget about wind. We forget about currents of air from the fans in the ceiling and so on. Viruses will spread no matter what. But you can resort back to the old herbal way. You can go back to the days when people took things that were natural into their body to kill bugs. The known one, particularly that was used consciously all the time, was ginger root. Ginger root kills anything that lives in the digestive tract, including viruses. Another one that's known for killing viruses as well as everything else is the seed of the grape, grape seed essence. They crush the seeds and get the essence out, and you can buy that in a herbal shop. Another thing that is known for killing all sorts of bugs in your alimentary tract is the understanding 
that a plant in whatever country you're in can remove bugs. Now, the thing is, some of them are poisonous. So mugwort is another one, but it's highly poisonous. So you don't want to drink it. But you can make a balm and put it on a sore and it'll get you better. There are lots of different things that you could study about herbs while you're sitting at home, looking at a computer, being bored out of your mind. You could be studying on the old remedies of the ancient ones who used whatever herbs they were in their country, roots, plants, leaves of trees, barks. There's so much in nature that can help you stay wholesome, healthy, and happy. But let me talk about healthsome, wholesome, and happy. Healthy comes from having a good state of mind. If you are worried constantly that you might catch the virus, then you're likely to run down your energy source. When you run down your energy source, your emotions begin to shift. And when your emotions shift, what you end up having is a weak biogenetic system. I want you to think of your biogenetic system as like a, a volcano, okay? In different parts of your body, you are swirling magma down there, gases and liquids, and they all find their level by passing through different parts of your body, even passing through your skin, and you're not aware of it. But everything that is not needed in a gaseous form will come from your body through your mouth, your nose, your fecal matter, your urine, and your skin. And at the same time, if you are in some need to release liquid, you will sweat out of fear or out of heat and cold. It doesn't matter. You will sweat and you will release toxins through your skin and again through your digestive system. Now, if you are eating wholesome food, like our forefathers were, you know, growing their own food and eating it, then that would have been wonderful. But today we can't even trust the food that we might grow. For example, there was a case I was talking about recently with one of my students where I mentioned a lady decided to just have lettuce, a lettuce diet so that she could lose weight. Well, the first thing that she noticed was that her thyroid was wrong and that she was gaining more weight. Her doctors couldn't understand it. She's not eating the wrong food. She's definitely not eating enough. She should be losing weight. So they did some tests. And what they found was she had a certain amount of poison within her. They wondered where it came from. So they did a thorough test on what she was eating. And when she insisted that she was buying natural lettuces from a farmer not far away from her home, and that was all she was eating, they went to check the lettuces. And what they found was the lettuces were full of the poison of the runoff water from the fracking mines way up in the hills where they were using chemicals to get the oil. And that was running down, feeding the farmland, poisoning the soil, and poisoning this woman. And yet, in spite of this, that they know this now, there are still people in various countries doing the same method, doing the same fracking oil to get money. And they're poisoning the earth. Trees are dying, animals are dying, fish are dying, whatever it is, is dying. And they don't care, because they just want money. Now, let us think about the imports and exports of food. Here I began to question my own um, diet, because I got irritable bowel syndrome years ago, 
by traveling around the world so much, I was thinking, oh, I'm in India, it's a curry. Oh, I'm in Japan, it's the food there and so on. And that my system is not getting my old British food that I was used to. So I started to really consider all that. And so when I was abroad, I was careful what I was eating. And yet still, I had issues. So finally, I began to ask my spirit guides, what is going wrong? I'm doing everything I think is right, and I'm still suffering. And they said, you're eating raspberries grown in Japan through Japanese soil that is having different bugs that don't exist in England, that don't leave their fecal matter or whatever it is they're doing to the plants, that your body has learned to be able to sift through in England. When you eat strawberries grown in Israel, for example, they are not the same in their metabolical structure as strawberries grown in England. Wow. I had to think long and hard about that. And so I went shopping and I started to ask people, where do these come from? Where do these come from? And finally, I realized that most people didn't know where they came from. And the more I asked, the more I talked to my students about the fact that imported fruits and vegetables and other things made in other countries were actually made from the roots of different uh, you know, flora and fauna from where we were born and that our alimentary tract, our digestive system in other words, is mixed up, confused, and as a result we have gases building up in our tract. We have biogenetic mismanagement, if you like, of our um, digestive enzymes that couldn't work productively, and so the result is irritable bowel syndrome. Now, there's two sides to this. You could be highly constipated, or as I had, the diarrhea. And if you're highly constipated, then that means that whatever is in your body is not allowing you to get the best out of your food. And if you're having diarrhea, then you're not getting any good quality of food because it's passing through you like a river. You don't have time to get anything. So I ask you to think about what you eat. And in thinking about it, to realize that it's not only what you eat, but what you drink. Once we got imports coming from all over the world, one of the most popular things was to get wine. Again, it's the same. The grapes are grown in different countries on land that's supposed to be very rich and fertile. But hey, it's too rich for your body if you were brought up in a country where there's poor soil and vice versa. It could be that you need something that's rich where you live, so you're used to it, and you go to another country where you're drinking something that isn't rich, and your system breaks down. Everything that you put in your body is being sorted out by your digestive system. But what makes your digestive system work? It's your brain. And the thing about your brain is that it has been taught from when you were very young to decide what flavors you like the best. It's a known fact that you could have a whole family who might all go for chocolate, while one child says, no, I hate it, I like strawberry. Or you could have a family with every single member having a different flavor they like. So instead of buying a whole big block of ice cream, they go down to the store and choose out of the 69 flavors or whatever they've got in that store. Now, there is something nice about that. It gives us an opportunity to choose and to discover how we like to taste food. One of my granddaughters loves sour things, salty things tomatoey things because when she was very young mum gave her a piece of lemon 
And she pulled a terrible face, and we thought, that's the end of it, she'll never want any more. And as we took it away, she was screaming for it again. And so her primary coding was, I like sour. You don't remember your childhood, and you don't remember what food you were given. But I can tell you that most of my children, when they were given mashed peas, used to spit them out. And I can tell you today that if I cook a dinner for them, even as men today, fathers of their own children, out of their choice of vegetables, peas will be the last ones, even though they eat them. So what did I like? Raw peas out of the pod, yes. I grew up shelling peas, because that's what we had to do. There was no tinned peas, there was no frozen peas. We bought them off the grocer, uh, the greengrocer, and mum had to sit around and shell the peas. And we ate them as we did. And then we boiled them and cooked them and dished them up for a Sunday lunch. But I'll tell you one thing I didn't like. Dark green cabbage. Oh, that was terrible. It was bitter, and even though I was told it's full of iron and it's good for you, I had a to-do with that. I was made to sit there and eat it. I even threw a tan temper tantrum. I did never ate it, and I still don't eat it today. I don't like bitter tastes. You see, we have a choice when we're very young. Our instinct, our intuition in taste is how we associate the emotional input that comes with the taste. My parents at that time were worried about money, and they bought this cabbage and they were really wanting me to eat it because it didn't waste any food after World War II because there wasn't enough food to go around. Well, I didn't understand that. All I knew is it tasted bitter and horrid and I didn't want it. And I was forced to eat it, which then made me have a mental idea, I hate it. I will never eat it again. Now, that's just eating. But there are many other things that we as children go through that our parents insist that we do according to their ideas relative to their perceptions on what's going on in their world at that time. Children do not know all the things that are happening because they're sheltered from the nasty dark world. Well, at least that was the case when I and my grandchildren were growing up, but not anymore. Now the children born in the last 10 years, they have phones. They can work them at two years old. The TVs are on all the time. The news is running. They hear everybody blaming and shaming. They see movies with people cutting off heads and whatever is going into them. It's normal. So even when we had the terrible things that were happening in the Middle East, all the reporters being captured and beheaded on film. I know a lot of the children saw that. Did it tell them to speak out and never be cruel to anyone else? No. They just said, it was horrible, it happened, and it won't happen at home. But how do we know it won't happen at home? We don't. How do we know to appreciate our life if no one tells us to appreciate life? So here, I want to give the example of Princess Diane when she died. People all over the world mourned her loss because she had shown love to the world. She traveled to all the places where most folks didn't go. She walked amongst mind bombs, not fearful for her own life. She walked amongst people who were starving. She visited people in hospitals. She did whatever she could. She was the world's female princess. And her death was caught by paparazzis who were the nuisance and still are the nuisance because people don't want to know about the private lives of someone. And yet somehow... The news, television, radio has insisted we get that kind of news. And all it does is becomes hearsay now. 
I've listened recently to news out of our country because we're getting a new president or not. Whichever case it goes, who will see? We don't know. But the hearsay. He said and she said and they said and it said and it won't be long before someone will probably elect a dog to be the president because the dog can just sit there and bark all day. Because to me, that's all they're doing. They're spouting words that they think people want to hear. And now the people are confused. Or so they think they are not, but I assure them they are confused because they haven't heard the real stories. And yet there are people out there telling the real stories, and those who listen and hear it choose to not believe it, saying it's hearsay. And those who hear hearsay choose not to believe that because they can prove that it's not a truth. So we have within us a nature to be blind to the truth. Why? Because we don't want to change. We don't want change. We want things to stay stay the same. We want people to say the same things over and over again that makes us feel safe. But the truth is this world will evolve with or without us and change will occur whether we like it or not. And the reason it happens is because we are evolving. We don't live like the Egyptians lived thousands of years ago. We don't live before the great flood the way aliens lived here or anyone else for that matter because we don't remember. We don't know. We're still researching and guessing and trying to understand just for example how people suffered when earthquakes happened and towns were buried in mud that we're finding today. So human nature is to investigate to inquire, to search, to learn, to understand. We've done a lot of that. We've learned to fly in aeroplanes. We've learned from balloons to planes to spaceships. And for all that learning and all that technology, we've run so far, so far, we've forgotten ourselves. We've forgotten that we are human beings who are born to live on an earth, this earth, who are born to survive here together. We've forgotten that trade is not about making a fortune, but about survival. And as I said earlier, we've forgotten about nature, the herbal remedies, the trees, the plants, the earthworms even. Everything contributes to this place being a paradise for us. It may not be a paradise for an alien who likes to breathe nitrogen, so they have to walk around with masks on. (laughs) Sounds weird for us because we have a lot of nitrogen in our atmosphere. But it doesn't affect us, does it? Because our system knows how to pass it from us in nitrates. So does the earth. It knows how to use nitrates. They're essential to this planet. They're essential to all life force, and yet no one ever thinks about it until we've killed the trees and the plants and the fish in the ocean and so on. We are greedy, and until we stop being greedy and realizing we don't need 10 ounces of meat on a plate. And here I will say to you, whether you know or not, that one cow per second is killed so that you can have that meat on your plate. One sheep per second is killed so you're going to have the lamb. Hundreds of fish are killed so that you can have fish on your plate. You don't need a whole anything. All you need is two or three ounces of protein from an animal. I know after the World War II ended, we had coupon ration books. And everyone in a family got two ounces of meat, eggs, butter, a week. Two ounces a week. And you used it sparingly. 
you didn't gosh I don't know gobble it down and say more please more please I want more like Oliver in Oliver Twist because it wasn't more to ask for it was like shocking to everyone the generations today don't know what it's like to starve unless they're in the third world countries and we in the West don't appreciate just how lucky we are having as much as we do have. But we've gone too far. We've gone too far. Hear that. It's time with this COVID bug in our systems and around us to understand that it's there to teach us yet again to appreciate our life and to think of the values of our life and the things that we can teach to our children that will help them to appreciate the land again and stay grounded in the idea of procreation of a better world where everyone is united. I was speaking today with my friend and I said, I'm waiting for the dollar to crash so that the world will say, whether it's a dollar, a rupee, um, a lira, lira for Italy, Frank from France, a Deutschmark, they're all valued at the same. So if you buy bread in England or Germany or the States, it's a dollar or two dollars, but never 25 because I'm trying to make a profit. It should be that everyone who has a wage gets an existing livable wage, something that pays for the gas, the electric, or whatever we have in the future. And by the way, our future science will bring us the sound of energy into a new form where we will heat our homes and turn our fans on and do so much more with the energy of sound, the sun, and the wind. We're into a new age. So stop worrying about coal and oil. Stop putting your energy into the future. If you've got a flower pot, grow your own tomatoes. If you've got somewhere that you can be quiet and learn to knit and sew to make your own clothes, do that. You know, in the wars, women sat and made clothes for the men on the fronts. They downed the socks and sent them back so they could be reworn, warmer, thicker, than they ever were before. Women have forgotten how to make clothes. The far countries who are without income depend upon the Western world to buy their clothes where they're in sweatshops. Isn't it time we stop demanding more and more at cheaper and cheaper so that they work harder and harder for us? Isn't it time that we had our own shops where we made our own clothes and where we supplied them with the material to build up their countries so they can live more productively and sell to their own fellow people in their own country. A world united means that there should be no competition in making more than others. It should be a world of united beliefs, philosophies, no matter the religion, acceptance of all that is, our race, our color, no matter what it is. And my final message is, don't spend time on the streets wasting time in gang warfare. You're wasting the time of your ancestors who struggled to be free. You're wasting their struggles to learn to read and write in English when they came from a country that they didn't even know the language. You're wasting their efforts by not learning, by not staying in school, by not studying to become something more. Get off the street. Don't be a nuisance to society. And if you are someone who doesn't bother to contribute, then expect that others will be against you. If we all learn to unite our efforts and not look at class or structure, but rather look at the way we can vividly share and unite in projects such as we are now through the starving, the sick and the suffering. When we learn to do it, 
in our everyday life, perhaps then generations to come will have good understandings of the way the world should be and put many wonderful things into action that will give them a better future. Stop and think. You have children, one day they'll be mothers and fathers. You want them to grow up to be good mothers and fathers, to give their children golden opportunities to contribute to society in their country. I hope people listening to this will understand once again that I remind everyone that though you hear my voice, I am actually channeling Cornelius Tacitus, who is one of my spirit guides, who loves to lecture, who was a senator in Rome. He was born in 62 AD, and it is because of him we know how Rome was when he wrote his chronicles. He was a great historian. He kept accounts and records and was a great speaker in the Senate bringing Rome at a time of its fall into an understanding of giving back to the nations that Rome had conquered. So his words are my words. And I hope you will take them seriously and think about how you live your life. Stop blaming, stop ranting and raving about who's right and who's wrong. Listen to your instinct your intuition. Take responsibility for everything that you do, knowing that the results that you reap will be the results of how you use your energy and time. If you are creative, then become even more creative and teach those who are not creative to be inventors and creators. If you are a teacher of ethics and moral codes, spread them around. Help people to understand how to share and how to honor and respect one another. If you are the intellectual type, then write your understandings in simple ways so that those who are learning can follow your thinking. There are too many people who make statements and expect everyone to understand. We all have different points of view. We all have different perspectives on how we see the world. To use similes, metaphors, pictures is a way of teaching. The words can come later. If you see a person in a picture crying, you know how they feel. If you see someone laughing at a party, you know how they feel. You are aware of everyone spiritually. So spend time in contemplation of all that you are. Allow yourself to connect to the oneness and to God. And in prayer and meditation and in states of hypnotic suggestions where many are teaching, enjoy being you. And in that moment, Awaken to your spirituality, to the inner peace that divine love gives you. We are all a part of God. We are all fragments of God. And as such, must remember that where we have come from, we will return. And when we return, we will take with us our lessons, our experiences, and share them with those who have gone before, yet once again to determine another period in time when we will all return to reincarnate to make this earth yet again a better place to live where those who will come after us will evolve to create and make things better for all. On this note, I'm ending this talk and I will say this. That if you've enjoyed this talk, I would love for you to write to me, Professor P-R-O-F Margaret, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T, R-V-C for Rogers Van Coops at gmail.com. I'll say that again. 
professormargaretrvc at gmail.com. And I'm happy to announce we are redoing our websites. Uh, I'm going to tell you what they are and look for them soon. www.easypeasysolutions.org It's spelt as it sounds, as you would find it in the dictionary. E-A-S-Y-P-E-A-S-Y-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S dot org. I'll also have Sumaris Education Center dot com up. S-U-M-A-R-I-S-E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com. Sumaris Center. Sorry, this is a new one. SumarisEducationCenter.com And Universal Christ Church School of Spiritualism will be up under UniversalChristChurch.com So we will be teaching from these websites and if you are interested in learning from me and from some other teachers including a wonderful woman, Katie Kamara who is working with me then please go to those sites, sign up, and let us know what you're interested in. So until my next show, be well and enjoy yourself. Remember, all my past shows are only half an hour since 2010, but there's a lot there that you could learn for free. And if you go to iTunes, you'll find the podcast there. So blessings to you all, and thank you for listening. Bye for now.